Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Ryan Para, the chef owner of Agricole Hospitality, coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined this week by my frequent co-host, La Olivier owner Mary Clarkson. Mary, welcome back. How are you? Howdy. I'm good. Good to be here. Did you survive your Mother's Day brunch service? <laughs> um, yes, I promptly cooked dinner for my own mother at nine o'clock last night. I did survive brunch service. It was a it was a great service. Um, everybody was in a good mood, but it's a long day. Yeah. Well, let us dive into the news of the week, starting with the little hashtag CM exclusive. Uh, Anthony Calio, the chef and founder of Pie Pizza, is no longer affiliated with the restaurant that bears that name. He and the Cherry Pie Hospitality Group parted ways back in January. He is now working on a couple of different projects, uh, most prominently consulting with Chef Adam Doris on the food truck for the Lady Birds Bar uh, just off of Washington Avenue. And he is very quietly, or not so quietly, working on a new restaurant concept that he's not quite ready to talk about. Uh, Mary, we've seen a lot of this, it seems like, recently, where you know chefs partner with a restaurant or a restaurant company to open a, a brick and mortar. Um, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's all romance in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anthony, of course, is not going to say anything bad about the people of Cherry Pie. The people of Cherry Pie aren't going to say anything um, bad about Anthony. But but what was your impression of, of that situation? I mean, I miss Lee Ellis. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, we should. Right. And we should note, right, Lee and Lee, who was one of the founders of Cherry Pie, uh, is no longer involved with them. He remains an investor, but he's day-to-day, his day-to-day role is, doesn't exist anymore. So this is another high-profile personnel loss for them. There's pros and cons to this business model. Um, I like being a smaller operator where I don't have a lot of uh, partners or investors, but people are going to come and go in companies this size, and it's a natural thing. The timing may not have been um, uh, thought of beforehand or expected, uh, but this guy is going to go out and do his own thing, and that's what you want to happen eventually. Maybe they wanted him for a little longer. Maybe they didn't. I mean, nobody really knows. But if he's talented and he's got some backers, it sounds like he's going to be able to do something awesome. Yeah, I mean, I you know, Anthony, you know, certainly built the the following for that food truck from scratch. I mean, he did the, you know, get a get a pizza tattoo, get a free slice for life deal, and. And uh, some other promotions that really enhanced his following. And, did you and get a tattoo? I, I did not. <laughs> I know someone who did. <laughs> uh, you know, and right now he's popping up a couple of places with something he's calling the hipster-ass concession stand. It's going on at, uh, at the New Potato uh, in East Houston uh, on Sundays and, and a couple other places around town. So, you know, he's kind of getting back out there. You know, he was, when, when Pi opened, I mean, he was there long hours all the time. He's been sort of laying low a little bit for the past couple of months, but but ultimately I think he's a he's a really talented guy. I've always liked his food. 
and I'm excited to see what he brings to Ladybirds, and then you know more details on this new restaurant, uh, very much TBA. Moving on, item number two, Whole Foods Market 365 has released some details about their new location that's coming to 610 in Yale. This is the kinder, gentler, less expensive version of Whole Foods. It's been popping up around the country. Their first Houston location will have two restaurant concepts within it. The first is Peli Peli Kitchen, the fast casual version of the uh, very popular fine dining South African restaurant. Had Thomas Wynn from Peli Peli on the show several months ago now, which is astonishing to me that we have several months of podcasts. Uh, And also a juice bar from Austin called Juice Society. Uh, Mary, you're a frequent Austin traveler. Are you familiar with Juice Society? I have heard of it, but I have never been, Eric. Oh, no. (laughs) You're a devoted Juice Land fan. I am. (laughs) Uh, But still, I'm intrigued by this uh, For That Neighborhood. Uh, It's a very up-and-coming part of Houston. They don't have a lot of grocery stores. The the big HEB that's coming to Shepard and 24th is still probably a few months, several months away. So, I don't know, Mary, what do you think about less expensive Whole Foods sister concept? I think it's needed because not everybody can afford Whole Foods regular. Um, This is a good demographic for them, a good neighborhood fit. Uh, The ability to be able to eat and and um, the grocery stores is kind of a trend that we've been seeing for a long time. Whole Foods did this at their world headquarters in Austin uh, about 14, 15 years ago. And that is a trend that I see being incorporated going forward in all different types of grocery stores. People want fast casual in their, in their grocery stores. They want meals to go. You see curbside delivery now. And I think this is a trend that is not going to go away. Well, and now that Whole Foods is owned by Amazon, I mean, the sky's the limit in terms of delivery options from the grocery store, not just groceries, but also food from both Peli Peli Kitchen and uh, Juice Society. So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things. And and as I said, I think uh, for that neighborhood that doesn't have a ton of grocery options, getting Whole Foods or Whole Foods uh, Market 365 is going to be a good addition. Drone delivery not included yet. Not yet, but it's coming. (laughs) Uh, And then finally... Uh, this is, this is one that I'm, I'm so glad that you're here because this is one where you're a restaurateur who has leased a space. Oh my goodness. You're also involved in the real estate world. Uh, so I, I feel like you're going to bring a unique perspective to this. <laughs> I, I met Bob Downs, a local real estate developer who showed me his new property Heights village just South, uh, speaking of Yale street on Yale street, just South of better luck tomorrow. And he's looking for a tenant, a restaurateur <laughs> to open a space he's got between 2,500 and 4,000 square feet. And what makes it interesting is that it, there's a, there's a, it, it's just a drain with grass on it now, but it's yeah. elevated, but, but you could build an elevated patio and, and landscape garden on it. And he feels like it's going to be just a beautiful destination, something kind of like what Rainbow Lodge offers people. Um, so, Mary, let me just let me just throw this to you. Uh, what kind of restaurant would you like to see take the sunken garden spot? I mean, a creek concept would be strong just because of their heights presence. You know, Onion Creek, Dry Creek, that kind of thing with the sunken garden. But here's here's the real truth, and this comes from me. Not well, it's a little bit of a restaurant tour, but it's as a real estate broker and attorney. 
He's charging 45 bucks a foot and $12 in triple nets. You're like a pro- fastly approaching 60, mm-hmm. 60 bucks a foot. That is a very big number. And I don't know what concepts work in that environment in that particular neighborhood. So it's either going to have to be something really casual where they get volume. I don't think fine dining is a good fit here, even semi-fine dining. And they need an established operator. So those are hefty rents. It's a cool spot. I kind of like what he's doing, but that's a that's a that's a real monthly rate to be paying um, right now. Well, and, and I do think this is a time when a lot of the established operators have other commitments, right? The the yeah. agricultural hospitality people are about to open Anito. Yep. We already talked about cherry pie sort of shuffling things around a little bit. There's a lot of inventory right now. Um, there's been a lot of closings that you've talked about since uh, hurricane season and just normal cl- openings and closures that happen in this industry. So until a lot of that inventory gets absor- absorbed, you've got a lot of developers out there, big developers, doing new projects where they're offering a lot of incentives. So to compete in this environment is a tough thing from a developer um, without giving away a lot of tenant improvement allowance or some money up front. Very good. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We will be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Mary, I know that we went briefly through the news of the week this week because we have two very exciting new restaurants to talk about this week uh, that we dined at together. Yes. Starting with UB Preserve. This is Chris Shepard's reimagining of Underbelly, uh, UB Preserve took the old post skull spot. Uh, I won't refer to it as the Jimmy Choo's Asian Kitchen spot because <laughs> please, please don't. It didn't last long <laughs> enough to be mentioned. Um, but I'm just going to say my first impression on walking in was that it looked and felt a lot like Underbelly. They have taken the tables and chairs from Underbelly and moved them to UB Preserve. The wood paneling is still on the walls. The the collage of photographs of people who helped inspire the restaurant is still on the walls. Um, and so I was, I was very excited to eat there. Uh, Mary, what were some of your first impressions? And, and then we'll get to the food here in a minute. Okay. Uh, first impressions. What a, what a nice quick renovation. I mean, they got in there pretty quickly and did what they needed to do to update it, make it a little more contemporary, lighter, brighter. Um, so the space looks wonderful. I think this is the DNA that Chris probably has always wanted. Uh, He's spoken in the past about how Underbelly was too big of a space for what he wanted to do. I think the future of dining with the way rents are going, the way Montrose is going, Heights, all of these very popular neighborhoods, I think smaller is better. And so this dining room seats a little over 80 and it, it has the ability to shut off one of the rooms. So this place is always going to have a good energy and feel full. They had a communal table the night that we were there. Um, the bar's been updated. The countertop is a, a beautiful marble, and the back bar looks great. Um, they, they're going to do very, very well here. Parking might be a little bit of an issue, but you can park on the street. People Uber. People walk. It's a walkable neighborhood. This, for me, is a restaurant for you and me. It's for our friends. It's a place you can dine often not necessarily an expense account restaurant um, where you have to get spendy. Yeah, and I, I think that is sort of the key component. It's it's the 80-seat version 
They're not taking reservations, at least for now. And most of the dishes are affordable. You know, they had they had sort of quick fire small plates, stuff you can order and get within five or ten minutes. They had some sort of hearty or medium-sized plates that maybe take a little bit longer to prepare. And then just four, like, really big shareable entrees that were in the, you know, 60 to 70 range. But, but you know, whereas I always felt like to go to Underbelly, I needed at least four people, ideally six or eight. And my credit uh, card. <laughs> and that it was, yes, and that it was very much a special occasion, uh, very much a big ticket. Uh, I, you know, I thought UB Preserve was more affordable, and I think it's going to be easier to drop in there for a casual dinner for two. Um, Who doesn't love the idea of a neighborhood restaurant? That is what this embodies, and I love that. Yeah, and certainly, you know, Ryan Paris coming on here in a little bit. Uh, Cultivari is maybe the ultimate neighborhood restaurant. Love. Uh, right, where the food is great and the vibe is good and it's always busy. Is he bringing us Cacio e Pepe? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but... Let's talk about the food at Underbelly. We had, uh, what, five UB dishes? UB Preserve. Excuse me. <laughs> UB Preserve. I'm going to have to put a dollar in a jar every time I do that. Um, we had dumplings. We had uh, a tomato salad. We had <laughs> we had the uh, crawfish and noodles dish. The rice salad. The rice salad, yeah. My you, favorite. You particularly like the rice salad. Talk about that for just a minute. So the rice salad was a beautiful dish. Uh, obviously, the influences on... Chris's cooking extend to Asian influences as well as others. But uh, the crispy rice in this salad had a texture that was lovely. It was balanced. The cucumbers and tomatoes were wonderful, lightly dressed, super, super light. I think a lot of times people in the past maybe thought of Underbelly as a, as a heavy restaurant, as something where you had to order a lot of dishes that weren't on the lighter side. This was beautiful. Uh, the tomato salad was light and refreshing. I even thought the pork dumpling was pretty light. Yeah, I thought the pork dumpling was really good. A, a thin, very crispy skin, a very savory pork filling with a little bit of ginger in it. And, of course, if you want to go heavy, we did have the 44 Farm Short Rib Vietnamese fajitas. Uh, just a, a fatty, in a good way, I mean, um, just luscious piece of, of red meat. That is the most ridiculous dish I have had of 2018. I mean, r- insane. Uh, very good, but insanely ridiculous. We could have just that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I think two people could split that with like one or two other things and be very, very content. I think it's also big enough that, you know, three or four people could share it with a couple other plates. Uh, but, yeah, no, we had, a, we had a very positive first experience at UB Preserve on opening night. Uh, and I can't wait to go back there. And wineless. Let's talk about that. For yeah, a you're, you know that stuff better than I do. So yes, I do. Uh, the wineless Matthew Pridgen, uh, the beverage director for the group, is tasked with this wine list, and I think he's done a really nice job of keeping it moderately priced. So there's plenty of bottles on there for 30s, 40s, 50s. You can get a little spendier if you want, uh, but a really nice start to let people know that uh, it's an affordable concept if you want it to be. Right, and I always like bottles of wine in that price point because you figure you're going to spend 10 or 12 dollars on a cocktail so at that point four glasses of wine about 50 bucks it's the same as having four cocktails for four people Bobby Hugel approach to wine at BLT there (laughs) you're gonna just have to let that go I know sorry Bobby (laughs) but but I do think it's it you know instead of a second cocktail for you know everyone at the table getting a second cocktail maybe you switch to a bottle of wine it goes with the food 
And we didn't have any other tiki drinks, but they're doing tiki drinks. Yeah, right? they're doing a couple of tiki, like large format tiki drinks. I've seen. I saw a photo. I've seen pictures. They look very good. We should have gotten one of those. We should we, go back. <laughs> we have to go back with a group. I want that lamb shoulder. Uh, I want the the heritage chicken for two or more. I mean, I I want to taste my way through more of those medium plates. There's there's pork ribs that I want to try. So all of that very much uh, TBA. And then there's a whole. Uh, dim sums small plates brunch service that looks really really good what? no carts no carts but they're referring to it as a a dim sum brunch that that menu's online too. i will see you there sunday yes absolutely <laughs> mary the other restaurant i want to talk about this week is put Chin. this is the new concept from balls out burger owner ian tucker that just opened up in sawyer yards you and i went to the last night of their soft opening and tried most of the dishes that they had on offer that night. What were some of your favorites? So to compare and contrast with UB Preserve, just because there was a somewhat similar dish, we had the short rib. We did. We had a Korean style short rib with uh, some lettuce and uh, banchan, like pickled, uh, yeah. pickled, pickled this and that. Yeah. And I liked, I liked that um, quite a bit. I think I found it kind of ironic that, both concepts have a similar dish. Maybe it's just happenstance or coincidence or whatnot. Uh, but the shareable, these shareable entrees and these higher price points are definitely a trend we've been seeing. And we, you and I spoke about that last week. I think along with these small bites that a lot of the restaurants are doing, they're also doing these larger, more expensive shareable entrees. And this restaurant's doing that, but they hit some nice price points uh, for fish. I think they had snapper for 28 bucks. We didn't have that that night, but some of the starters, the pigskins. Yeah, the were, pork cracklings were really yeah. good. The hummus with the, the pulled lamb neck, I thought that was very, very solid. The lotus uh, that were a side dish, maybe our favorite dish of the night. And a roasted chicken with like a spicy marinade and a crispy skin. Yeah. Um, The gin and tonics, you're seeing that around town right now. I mean, obviously, BCN is the be-all, end-all gin and tonic game in town as far as I'm concerned. But the gin and tonic that they had was nice. They had a smoked old-fashioned or smoked Manhattan. Yeah, smoked old-fashioned. Yeah, smoked old-fashioned. The presentation of that was beautiful in a glass bottle, obviously filled with smoke, poured uh, over a large, large cube, you had a cocktail um, before I arrived with a flower embedded in the ice cube. And I thought the presentation was beautiful. Yeah, the presentation was really beautiful. And that's a tribute to the bar staff. And I, I think that's one of the things about Puccine that's so interesting is that Ian is still relatively new to Houston, but he's got uh, veterans in the front and back of the house. Uh, Dominic Lee from Karen's is running the kitchen. Dory Fung, who's worked it. Yawacha and Aki, among others, is the pastry chef. Todd Leverett. Yes, your old. House, one of my old GMs who yes. I still love. He's great. And he picked up Matthew Bradshaw as his assistant GM. Matthew was at El Big Bad and, and with the uh, the group behind Cottonwood and LaGrange for a long time. And then up front, uh, Sarah Cuneo, who had been at Anvil and then at the mm-hmm. Pastry War. And Tongue Cut, just briefly, I yeah. believe. Uh, Krista Havacon, who's been... Golly, all over the place, but but most recently at Reserve 101 and Goodnight Charlie's and then Shannon, uh, <laughs> the sommelier, Shannon, your your old friend. Oh, yes. Um, yes. Who comes, who comes to the <laughs> restaurant from 
who comes to the restaurant from 13 Celsius. She, and was, I, she was the one that I was thinking was that tongue cut as well, briefly. Oh, yeah. Well, and I know I know you were very impressed with Shannon's wine list. Uh, yeah, I was impressed with her presentation and her style. I think, you know, the whole team is very strong in a restaurant environment where it is difficult to assemble, assemble a team of this depth. Um, the space is enormous. Todd gave me a tour of the f- entire first floor, and they are 8,000 square feet inside with an additional, I believe, 1,600 square feet outside and another 1,000-plus square feet upstairs for wine storage and offices. So they have got a lot of seats to fill, and it's going to take all of these people working together in order to do so. But it's a pretty space, big open bar overlooking the dining room and overlooking downtown. That patio is killer. Um, And Sawyer, Sawyer Yards is growing. That whole area is developing, and I think it's a good spot to be in. Well, yeah, let's be explicit about that patio because I do think it's a real draw for them. Beautiful. It has a beautiful view of the downtown skyline. Um, just like B&B Butchers has that second floor patio with the, a similar view uh, that's been a draw for them. I think that's going to really set Puccine apart. Uh, and it's a very elegant space. I mean, Balls Out Burger is very no frills, fast casual. Uh, this is more in keeping with the restaurants that Ian Tucker owned in Ireland. Uh, a lot more high style, a lot more polish. And just a very, uh, you know, hard to form firm opinions about a restaurant uh, on its third day of friends and family service. But but a very strong first impression and, and someplace I know that I want to go back to soon. Absolutely. Mary, before we get out of here, I did yes. want to talk about one other place that we ate together. Uh, you and I snuck into State of Grace for what I thought was just going to be oh my God. Uh, a casual cocktail and a couple of oysters. <laughs> uh, we got bombarded by... Bobby Matos, the chef, Matt Crawford, the GM, and and my old friend uh, Josh Martinez, who the star of the star of uh, Ugly Delicious episode four, and now working at State of Grace as a manager. Uh, I love this team of guys; they're they're my favorite. Well, they they fired us through some of the seasonal dishes that Bobby has recently added to the menu, <laughs> uh, including uh, a fried soft shell crab, a a peach and arugula salad, uh, a fresh tomato salad. And the uh, his corn ravioli. This is one of my favorite meals of 2018. Like, bar none, hands down, this is it. Uh, we were literally meeting to have a drink and maybe some oysters, and it turned into this multi-course um, affair. It was, it was incredible. The the soft shell crab with the Texas toast that they bake in house. I think I died and went to heaven with that dish. The peaches were super uh, ripe. Yeah, just like quick, quick wash and a little simple syrup to sweeten them up. Oh, my gosh. The tomatoes, the oysters were beautiful. They always are. I mean, that's not a surprise. Some seasonal gin cocktails that they threw our way. Um, What else? Oh, the pasta, that corn pasta. My God. Bobby does so well with pasta. Yep. Always been a strength of that restaurant in particular. Uh, State of Grace, top five Houston restaurant for me. I mean, maybe top three. I don't know. Top three. Top three. Yeah, just an outstanding meal. All right. Uh, before we before you get out of here, uh, what's going on at La Olivier? Uh, La Olivier is hosting an Italian wine dinner, May 31st. We've been doing a lot of wine dinners this month. Uh, that is going to be our last one before summer season kicks off. It's $65 a person, four courses, um, two different producers of Italian wines 
uh, will be in attendance for that. We also do cooking classes every Saturday from one to three, and Chef has kind of gained a little cult following uh, with that. So it changes every weekend. If there's something you want to learn that you never knew how to make, he can help you learn how to impress your date, your family, or your loved ones. <laughs> all right, LaOliviaHouston.com for all the news on that. Mary, thanks so much. Thank you. I'll be right back with Ryan Para. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Our interview this week is brought to you by 8th Wonder Brewery, one of my favorite local breweries, conveniently located in East Downtown. It's been really fun to watch 8th Wonder evolve from its sort of humble beginnings in a little corner of a warehouse to now a gigantic warehouse, the huge backyard that they call Wonder World, where you can go before sports games, especially with uh, soccer season and baseball season heating up. Eighth Wonders Brewery is conveniently located uh, within walking distance. You might see my colleague Fred Fowler walking around there. I know it's a favorite spot of his. And there's always something new to try at Eighth Wonder. Like they just released their Procrastinator Session IPA, the official beer of doing nothing. They're going to have their hip hop series rolling out here in the next little bit. And, you know, you can always count on an Eighth Wonder beer to be refreshing, delicious, and fresh because it's made right here locally all the time. So thank you to Eighth Wonder, and here's our interview of the week. I'm joined this week by Ryan Para, the chef owner of Agricole Hospitality. You know them for their various projects around town. Revival Market, Cultivare, Eight Row Flint, Night Heron in Montrose, and three different concepts that are coming to East Downtown very soon. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Eric. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I, I've been sort of chuckling to myself about having you on the show. Of course, we've had your business partner, Morgan Weber, on uh, a, a times, couple of times. And uh, even your wife, Lori, she, came on to talk about I'll Have to, What She's uh, Having. Yeah, she runs her nonprofit, uh, I'll Have What She's Having, and she had a great time on your show. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that was, you know, a, a very special episode for me. I, I don't, I don't like to get too political. I figure everybody eats, but you know, when it's an important cause and when so many people that I admire are involved in something, it's, it's nice to give it, it's nice to be able to feature it. It's a great event and, uh, but we're doing a good event too. Uh, yeah, yes, you are. And, uh, that's, that's what brings you here today. No kid hungry happening Tuesday, the 22nd. Yes. Uh, yes. So. How did you, so, well, why don't I just throw it to you? What is No Kid Hungry? And, and because there's a lot of food-related charity events that happen all the time. So what makes this special? Uh, it's a great event. It's, it's been happening actually since 1988. And uh, even, which I was learning about this, I participated in Taste, and the, the No Kid Hungry is the, the campaign, and Taste of the Nation is the event. And the purpose of No Kid Hungry is to feed children who, need, who are hungry and need food. And... Uh, it's hard not to get behind, but uh, I was thinking about and talking to the organizers a few years ago as I'm the, uh, one of the culinary chairs of, of the Houston Taste of the Nation. But I, my first participation in No Kid Hungry was a cook in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up when I was a young cook, and that was in the early 90s. I was probably 93, 94. And then when I moved to New York as a, as a cook as well, I took part in the Taste of the Nation in New York. So it's, it's been around the country. I've been doing it for years, and it's been in Houston actually since 1989. And I feel very fortunate to be one of, one of the uh, spearheads of, of it here in, in town. And uh, we've 
gathered some incredible culinary talent. Um, I think when we ask, a lot of the chefs are familiar with it. They know it's a good event. And uh, the people who come, they have a great time. Uh, you can try food from the sh- different chefs around town and incredible beverages from some of the uh, bar talent around that you just don't necessarily get to go to that often or maybe you don't have the budget to go, but it's an incredible assembly of, of, of talent. Yeah, I I mean, I I haven't seen the final roster of restaurants. I'm sure you could recite some of them, but, but like, I mean, you guys, Agricole doesn't do that many events. What is it about No Kid Hungry specifically that made you want to sign on? Uh, they're really the cause, uh, you know, the, to feed hungry children. I think it's, that is a root. There's plenty of problems we can talk about in our country for hours. And obviously it's not a political show or political discussion, but it's hard not to get behind children. Ultimately, this country's welfare depends on the education of our children and the children cannot get educated if they're hungry. Uh, you know, in just basic data, they don't learn well. Uh, there's discipline problems. Uh, there's just all kinds of problems that start on the ground level with the children uh, early on. And it's just a basic need to feed them. And believe it or not, as powerful and wonderful as the United States is, there's a lot of hungry kids out there. And uh, No Kid Hungry works to solve those problems. Right. So you're leading kind of the culinary uh, the culinary side. What are What are some of the restaurants that are going to be participating in this event. Yeah, we have a great uh, talent. Uh, my friend Chris Shepard is there with UB Preserve, his new restaurant. Uh, BCN Taste and Tradition, Luis is going to be there. And those are two of the best best restaurants in town. Uh, Theodore Rex, Justin Yu will be there. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Brian Caswell at Reef. Uh, uh, Real is participating. Le- my friend Otto Sanchez at Latab is participating. Uh, then there's some incredible uh, bar talent as well. Well, Night Heron, our play, our newest addition, uh, Julie Rogers will be there making a cocktail. Uh, Pass and Provisions is going to be joining us for cocktails, and they will have one to share. Um, then we have some, uh, you know, bigger nationwide names. You know, if you don't want to wait in line, Shake Shack will be there, which I think is really cool. Um, and my, then Daniel Vaughn's still involved, right? So there's a barbecue component. Uh, there's as a well. huge barbecue component, and Daniel has assembled some of the best barbecue around. Uh, we have Tejas Chocolate and Barbecue. Um, we have, uh, Rogel's barbecue. And then of course there's beverage side, uh, great sponsor in St. Arnold's brewing company will be there. Uh, really amazing stuff. And of course, sweets, uh, Rebecca Masson is in charge of the sweet side of things, uh, assembling and she's, uh, gathered some incredible talent as well, like cacao and cardamom, Michael's cookie jar. Uh, the list goes on and, and it's a great list. And then, so what's the best way for people to get tickets? I'll, I'll certainly link to the I will link to tickets in the Culture Map article uh, associated with this podcast. But Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the easiest way is to go to nokidhungry.org, and uh, it'll tell you all about the event. And it is May 22nd in the Silver Street Studios, uh, which is just right off Sawyer, uh, right in the center of town. Uh, and it's a, it's a great Tuesday night to go. That's a kind of a quiet night around, and uh, it's actually... Uh, a great night and night I like to go out. So I think you should come and buy, buy a ticket and join us. Well, and Cultivare and Night Heron are both closed. So exactly. clearly you can't go there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, without a doubt. So please, please join us and uh, support a great cause. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been, there. I've been the last uh, two or three of these. Uh, it's always a good time. And, and one of the things that I, I like about this event is that it's not as crazy crowded as some of the other events. 
And so if you, you know, if you're a diner and you want to introduce yourself to someone like Brian Para or Chris Shepard or Alba Huerta, you know, here's your shot. Um, you can, you can actually talk to some of these participants. Uh, you get a good version of their food. I mean, I, I know a couple of years ago, you guys did the, the cultivari butternut squash salad, which is one of my favorite dishes on the menu. Something I, I order a lot. That's right. It, we did do that. And this year, uh, Indianola is participating, our newest concept. And we're doing a little uh, uh, chicken-style meatball with some uh, nice Vietnamese flair. And uh, I think it's going to be delicious. And you mentioned Alba, uh, you know, and she's done an amazing job of, of harnessing uh, some of that bar talent in town. So you can pair some of this great food with, with those incredible cocktails. And uh, I think it's just one of those Houston events uh, that garner some of the best talent in town. So, Ryan, you, you have a, a number of projects, uh, a number of restaurants that people really enjoy. Um, I'd like to start with Cultivare just for a little bit. Um, it's been, what, five years now? Uh, we're four plus. Four we're, plus. Yes, we're working on the fifth. Um, you know, I, I, I had this fantasy in my head. I, I drove past it a couple of Sunday nights ago. I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just sneak in. No, no. Uh, you know, full bar, full dining room, full garden. Uh, what do you think it is about that restaurant that's kept it so popular for so long? Man, man, I wish I knew. Uh, cause I would, it, it's one of those, it's an X factor. Uh, I have an incredible staff and I, I can't give them enough credit. And, uh, I think they, they work their tails off and we all the way through, whether it's a beverage, whether it's the food, whether it's the service style, we all try to put forth our best effort every single night and try and our goal every single night is for a customer to leave happy, and I, I hope we achieve that. And sometimes, like anybody, we strike out. But our goal is to uh, to finish finish strong. And I think the the time and place and what we do in the garden certainly does not help. That it shows that this is what we're about. This is what we do. And I think that translates directly to to the plates on the table. But ultimately, the success is is one hundred percent my staff. You know, and, and I think it's an interesting food experience because you there are staples. I mean, the, the chicken wings are always going to be on the menu, the cacio e pepe, the, the pepperoni pizza, but then there's enough seasonal variation that there's always something new to try, which which I think is, is kind of an interesting balance. Well, we've that was part of the original concept of the restaurant itself, uh, to be an everyday restaurant where you can come in and get the same thing if you love it. Uh, example, the Cacio e Pepe, which is definitely our, our best seller. Uh, but then to have a rotating seasonal menu where we're utilizing what uh, farmers are pulling on the ground at the moment, what we're harvesting ourselves out of the garden, and then ha- and use that as a platform to be our, uh, our chef-driven uh, nature and, and, and using our culinary technique to change it. So whether you come in you know, on a Sunday night and have the spaghetti and then you know, three days later, uh, come in on a, say on a date and have, you know, a four course extravagant menu, you know, those can be two very different experiences on the food, on the food side. And uh, I think that's appealing and people like that type of variation. So, uh, they can get what they, what they're craving and, and thinking about all day, or they can come and find something new and innovative. And then, you know, revival market, it kind of started as this this kind of grocery store and, and it's really become like a very casual neighborhood cafe for breakfast and lunch. 
we have gravitated towards being that, that neighborhood cafe, and I, I like where it is right now. Uh, we have, again, another great team. And we, we still have our meat counter, which is important to us. We, you know, we can't lose sight of our ethos of where our food comes from, and that is what drives Revival Market. And that goes into all of, of the cafe offerings, you know, whether it's a sandwich, whether it's a salad, uh, or whether it's, it's how, where the coffee roaster is getting their coffee. Um, and where things come from ultimately drives Re- Revival Market. And we have regulars who have been with us for the seven years that we've been open, and, and it's great to see their faces uh, sometimes you know, each weekday morning or each Saturday morning. And uh, we still have a lot of fun uh, on that platform. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, and you still find a way to mix things up. You, you do the kolaches occasionally. Mm-hmm. We're uh, actually doing a Memorial Day. That's right. Very good. You haven't done the bagels in a long time. You know, that was me. That was me. I, I really missed bagels uh, coming, moving from New York to here. And I, want, and, and I really wanted to do, do them proud. And I did them a few times, but now the kitchen has evolved. So uh, I think now I'm more of a hindrance than a help when I'm back there in the kitchen at Revival Market. So I, I, let, I let it kind of happen the way it does and let the current chefs come up with the, uh, the specials that they want to do. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, Becky Maston told me that you taught her how to make bagels. Uh, I'm, she's giving me a little more credit, but we did a good bagel little pop-up, which I think you did a pop-up over yeah, there, Yeah, I did a pop-up, and we made bagels as part of that. Uh, so really, I just, you know, and, and it was a lot of fun for me. So I, it's, it's fun, and it, I love, as a chef, uh, one of the things I love about cooking is that taking something all the way through from nothing, you know, mixing flour, mixing water, if that's going to be it, and watching nature take its course, and then letting it, letting it grow and, uh, and then coming up with the end product and, and guiding that product. And, and, you know, bagels is a perfect example because there's so many small steps that are so important in between. So yeah, it's important to me. And, and though that's a lot of fun, which takes me back to no kid hungry, which I don't want to lose sight of why. We're no, here. no, don't want to lose sight of why we're here. So same thing with raise with children, with people with so important to, to get behind this cause and uh, make sure that our young people are getting fed. And uh, just talking about cooking and, and baking and taking it from seed to plate, that, um, that really brings it home. Yeah, and then, you know, you're talking about sort of feeding children and, and you know, that starts with, you know, for parents who, who do have the means, good dining habits. Uh, is that something you think about when you're putting together menus? I mean, certainly it, Indianola is going to be a pretty big place. Sure. And, I think about it a lot. I mean, you know, food is, it's not just buying from a vendor, cooking what we get, putting it on a plate. I mean, I, that we've gone so much further than that. And as an executive chef, as someone who now oversees multiple restaurants as opposed to one kitchen, or even as a cook opposed to one station, uh, it, it, you know, the economy of food, the, the culture of food, uh, what we put in our bodies, it all matters. Uh, when something is prepared compared to when you eat it as fresh food, fresh food is so important. And that's ultimately our establishments. We try to put forth fresh food. Um, if, if any of that is missing, you don't get the same product. And I think Cultivari uh, perfectly shows that we pretty much create the entire menu at Cultivari every day. Uh, we're busy enough and lucky to be busy enough that we sell out, you know, we're, we run our numbers all the way to the end almost every night. And then, 
the next day we're starting it from scratch. And uh, it's something I believe in, and it's also what I think makes food taste great. But without great ingredients, without great farmers growing those ingredients, without uh, great stewards of our earth who are raising cattle that we can believe in, who are raising uh, pigs or chickens that we believe in, or hatching eggs, or or whether it's a carrot or a piece of fennel, uh, all that goes into the final dish. And uh, truly, that's that's as a chef, that is my my core belief. Right, finding the right people to work with is is so important. And and just this week, you announced uh, some of the people you're going to be working with in Indianola. Uh, Paul Lewis is the executive chef. Ben Newman, who was with the the feed group for a long time, is the the general manager. Um, how did that team come together and, and kind of what? Yeah, uh, yeah, we're super excited. Uh, we have some great team members that are at our new uh, Edo concept. So Paul and I actually, when I moved to Houston in 2003, the first job I had was chef de cuisine at the Four Seasons. Uh, Paul was working there and uh, Paul was a sous chef and I was the chef de cuisine and we got along amazing. I respect him uh, to no end. And really when we decided go on the project, uh, he was the first person I thought of, and he was the first person we reached out to, and I uh, was lucky that he was in a place where he can take take the job. So he has taken the role as executive chef. Uh, we've tasted through menus already, and uh, we're feeling good about where we are, and uh, I think we're ready. Uh, we're on that second phase of we're narrowing down the choices, and uh, super excited. Then uh, Ben Newman came from uh, Feed uh, Restaurant Group, and uh, he opened the several of the Liberty Kitchens. Uh, so he has great experience opening restaurants. He's experienced with the type of volume that we'd like to see, and um, very uh, talented at managing uh, multi layers of staff. Which is going to be as three concepts. You're almost going to be more of a operations director as opposed to a, a general manager. And I think that's going to be really important. And then uh, we've just hired a beverage director, uh, Marie-Louise Friedland, who has some incredible wine experience. She uh, is a native Texan, but most recently in California. And uh, it's always nice to, I think, take some, some outside uh, influences from your staff because, you know, we all see the uh, similar things here in Houston and, you know, we all bounce off of each other, but when you get an outside influence, you can create something a little bit different. And so I'm happy that we have uh, some high team members who are, who are not, or weren't in Houston uh, most recently. So uh, super excited to have her. And uh, we're currently uh, hiring some of the uh, team leaders as we speak, uh, happening daily interviews. And uh, if you're out there and listening to this and looking for, <laughs> looking for a gig, uh, check out our website. Uh, and then you said you've been going through some of the menu testing. What are are there a couple of dishes? Are you, you gonna you gonna let us behind the curtain a little bit? Uh, well, nothing's gonna be set in stone, of course, until until that first menu, and then it's still not set set in stone. But I'll say directionally, Indianola is based off the concept itself is uh, myself, my partner Morgan's, and my partner Vincent's uh, backgrounds from our different uh, cultures. Uh, Vincent's family originally entered the United States from San Francisco, Morgan's uh, from Texas, Indianola, Texas, and myself, uh, my grandparents from New York City. And those are three obviously very different uh, styles of, of food histories. And uh, we see Indianola as the melting pot of that. And we really want to um, express ourselves in that way and utilize the bounty that's in front of us. So with that being said, the sky's the limit. And, and Paul, hailing from uh, Great Britain, is even putting another spin on that. Um, so I'll start with uh, the, the dish at No Kid Hungry uh, at the Taste of the Nation. So 
we've taken, you know, a shrimp and chicken uh, ground up meatball and seasoning with some uh, some local herbs that uh, are growing locally and, and uh, seasoning it aggressively. Then we're char grilling it on some mesquite. And so it's getting like highly intense charcoal flavor. And uh, there we go. And it's going to have some good accompaniments, some pickled vegetables and uh, some locally made uh, bread. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously you at, at Cultivare, uh, pastas are a core part of that menu. Uh, Paul Lewis was at Osteria Mazzantini, which um, didn't work out, but I don't think that was his fault. Uh, he had some great pastas and some really exciting mains there. So He did. We're, we're going to still right now leave the pastas at Cultivare. Okay. Uh, we're going to see how that goes and uh, roll with roll with non-pastas at Indianola. <laughs> and, I, I mean, that's fair enough. But I might tap him when, uh, when necessary at Cultivar. He's, he, he does know Italian food quite well from Mazzatini, but I think he's going to go a little more global at, uh, at Indianola. Um, and then you, you did open up in, in Montrose, uh, your neighborhood and my neighborhood, with, with Night Heron a few months ago. And, and really, uh, I don't have a sophisticated question other than how's that going so far? Are you, you satisfied with kind of, well, well, we can never as restaurateurs. I don't think we can ever be completely satisfied. We we want it to grow and blossom. But right now, Night Heron is exactly where we want it to be. We have some great leaders in Jessica Schroeder and, and Julie Rogers, and uh, we're trying to expand the menu as we speak. Uh, we started pretty uh, pretty small uh, intentionally, and we're going to add about five cocktails in the next week. Uh, we're going to add two or three more dishes. But it's this, I mean, yes, I live in, in the neighborhood as well. I'm a stone's throw away. Uh, and just to be able to, uh, to live and work close, I, I like that a lot. But it's just a nice vibe, which is what we're looking for. It's interior neighborhood. It's not on a main street. And uh, we love the way it feels. And we just want it to organically grow in the neighborhood and really become a neighborhood fixture. Uh, so we're super happy about it. And uh, we're really looking for a, a long run in, in Montrose. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can't speak to how other customers are using it. I mean, I know, I know how I think of it, which is, it, it's not quite a dinner destination for me. The menu's kind of lighter, smaller, um, but I do like that I can come in there for a cocktail or two, you know, outside of regular dinner hours, and and also get something to eat while I'm there. Absolutely, it's it's definitely a bar. It's a bar first, and uh, it's a bar that serves great food, and that's the way we view it. And uh, if you want to come for dinner, we're, we can, I think we'll knock it out of the park, you know, and, and we actually have some amazing brunch offerings as well. But ultimately, the cocktails are, you know, are, are incredible. And, and Julie works really hard at, at creating some innovative stuff. And um, I think we're extremely lucky. Uh, and then I, I don't want to lose sight of, of No Kid Hungry. So I, I did want to, um, I did just want to ask you if you have any other comments about that before I uh... yeah well just mentioning Julie she's doing a cool cocktail she's she's gonna getting ready to participate in Chef Cycle which is also a uh, no kid hungry event and I participated uh, as well a few years ago it's a chef bike ride where you ride either I did the one hundred mile version Julie's gonna do the three hundred mile version which is pretty intense and so she's doing what she calls the Peloton uh, cocktail which takes the colors of the Tour de France and turns it into a, uh, an alcoholic beverage, but the chef, the chef cycle has inspired her. And I think, uh, just to talk about that for a second, I mean, 
for a chef to do something like that, uh, it takes a lot of gut and determination. And it's not just chefs. It's also uh, lots of food and beverage specialists. And actually, that's happening, I believe, over tomorrow in California. It's happening starting tomorrow for the next three days, uh, 100 miles each day. Uh, I'm hopefully doing the one in September uh, 25th through 27th in Virginia. But it raises money for No Kid Hungry and... uh, Julie participated a year ago, and she's using that inspiration uh, to make this cocktail. So she'll talk year off on that in a good way, and uh, there's also lots of information on that on nokidhungry.org if anybody's interested, um, and there'll be information at Taste of the Nation about it. But I will say this about Taste of the Nation. Please come out. There's going to be some incredible food, incredible beverages, incredible barbecue, and you can meet a lot of the faces from your favorite restaurants around town. We'll all be there. And uh, those faces themselves, we don't get to see each other that often. We're all working in our kitchens. So we have a good time as well. We love to chat it up. And uh, we're there to have a, just a great time. Yeah. And that's uh, so that's Tuesday, May 22nd. Tickets are on sale now. NoKidHungry.org. Absolutely. Hope to see you there. I will be there. I am looking forward to it. Uh, Ryan, that brings us to the portion of the interview I like to call the lightning round. You, you may have heard this before. Uh, five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. What is the first restaurant you ever worked at? 411 West Italian Cafe in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? I was five Billy Joel's Glass Houses tour. What is your fast food guilty pleasure that comes from a drive through I got to pass on that one. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. All right. Uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? James Harden. And uh, where's your favorite place to get a taco? Eight Row Flint. Eight Row Flint, of course. <laughs> uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Uh, Agricolehospitality.com, I think. That's correct. Uh, for all of your latest goings on. And all the bars and restaurants have individual Instagram accounts that people should follow. Absolutely, Eric been a pleasure thank you so much thanks for doing this and of course you can follow me on twitter at e sandler on instagram at eric sandler keep it locked on culturemop.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news thanks so much for listening i'll be back next time.